Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's a nightmare situation. You've just been in an auto accident and find that access to critical rehabilitative care, such as physiotherapy, chiropractic, or massage therapy, hangs precariously on meeting the auto insurance industry's predefined set of criteria. If your injuries or circumstances don't exactly fit, then you may not receive the care you need. In the province of Ontario, this nightmare happens all too often as accident victims and healthcare providers struggle to conform to a system stacked in favor of the auto insurance industry. Joining us today to talk about this struggle is Leslie Tempest, a registered physiotherapist with a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy and owner of Proactive Rehab, the longest running private independent full service physical rehabilitation clinic in Huntsville, Ontario. Leslie, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. Hi, thanks very much for having me. So Leslie, for the past few months, we've been covering issues around Ontario's auto insurance system from the perspective of health service providers who provide rehabilitation treatment to victims of auto accidents, which of course you are one of. Let's start off with a little background. How long have you been a physiotherapist? I graduated from my training in 1992, so that gets me at 31 years now. And what types of treatments are offered at your clinic, Proactive Rehab? Uh, well, like you uh, indicated, that we are a full-service uh, rehabilitation uh, center, and so we have a combination of physiotherapy, uh, massage therapy, uh, athletic therapy also, and then a couple of sidearms, uh, exercise-focused therapy, and a fairly unique program, at least in my area, uh, which is an aquatic therapy program. Leslie, what portion of your business is treating auto accident victims? I would say it varies between 15 and 20% per year. Is that a big portion? Uh, it's, a, it's a reasonable portion. I mean, it certainly takes up a big portion of our time and our efforts and energies. Um, from a, I mean, from a revenue perspective, it sits about, about that percentage. And um, then we balance that off with uh, WSIB is another 20%. And then our private paying uh, population is about 60%. So the revenue is around, you know, 15-20%, but you're saying the time commitment to service those patients is higher? It, yes, I would say it is, yeah. It's it's probably one of the more administratively heavy um, sort of pro providers or sort of avenues of care that we give, yeah. How important is physiotherapy and other rehab treatments for accident victims in their recovery? Oh, I'd say it's crucial. I mean, the vast majority of people who have physical injury from uh, car accidents need um, some sort of physical therapy type intervention to uh, to help them get back to their uh, you know kind of pre-accident state or as close to that as we can we can help them get. So how challenging is that journey to recovery? Oh, that that varies significantly. Um, there's certainly some people that um, you know injuries are what we would call relatively minor. They recover quite quickly. Um, you know, they, they follow a very nice and, and uh, predicted path of, uh, you know, kind of course of care and recovery time and, and make a very good recovery. Uh, and then you have the far other extent, um, end of that extreme where you've got significant, complex, multiple injuries, um, highly involved that, uh, that can be, can be years. Sometimes people are, you know, never really fully recover. Is the timing of treatment important, meaning how soon they can get into treatment? Yeah, sure. Uh, very much so. Uh, just like any injury, the, the sooner you kind of get on top of it and start to 
to get some help and some guidance and some care and some education around what's going on, how to best manage it for the stage that it's at and to help carry it through the process of recovery, um, the, the more likely you are to, to have that better outcome. Uh, the longer people have to, to deal with the, these issues without that kind of care or guidance or education, the, the more set they become, the harder it is to um, kind of reverse any uh, subsequent changes that, that take place. So in your experience, uh, is the auto insurance claim system, uh, you know, fluid enough to support that quick treatment? Um, well, in some cases or in some ways, I would say it, it is in that um, since they have developed this minor injury guideline, um, that, that one of the purposes behind that was to try to facilitate faster access to care um, so that, uh, you know, people can be seen more quickly to, to sort of less um, sort of administrative hurdles to get somebody into care. Um, so from that perspective, the minor injury guideline has has kind of helped to, to accelerate or um, sort of the initial um, access. The challenge that I think we do run up against, though, is that not all providers provide care within the auto accident sector. Um, and so then you're needing to find a provider that does. And then you have wait lists to contend with, because in most cases, there's not enough providers to to meet the uh, to meet the demand coming in. Leslie, we should quickly mention that in Ontario, there are over 20,000 health service providers who treat victims of auto accidents. And that puts you and your colleagues under the regulatory control of the Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario, or FISRA, which became active in 2019 when it took over for the now defunct Financial Services Commission of Ontario. In your opinion, is FISRA serving the needs of auto accident victims? Well, I would say that they're more regulating the, um, the access, I guess, to the service. And it's more because their intention is to minimize insurance fraud. That's why they're there. They're not really regulating what we do here in the clinic. There's no management over us as regulated healthcare professionals and what we do and what we put on treatment plans or any of that kind of thing. But they're overseeing the bigger picture more from a insurance fraud and insurance fraud on behalf of providers and on, and on behalf of uh, claimants. Um, so that's, we, we have to go through a, an annual renewal process with that regulator to be a regulated provider. Um, and the main stuff that they're interested in is, um, you know, are you following the rules to make sure that you're not dealing, you're not doing fraud yourself and you're not dealing with a fraudulent claimant. So the minor injury guideline, its real purpose is to contain costs, right? Yeah. And, uh, I, but I think, I, yeah, I don't know whether that comes from the financial services regulator or from sort of the insurance industry itself and with the HCI system. Um, because you're right, it is trying to contain costs. It only releases money to to a certain extent sort of quickly. And then if you need to get access more funds from the insurance policy beyond that, then you have to start to go through more of the, the process and sort of jumping through further hoops that the, that the industry kind of has put there. But the, the intention behind the minor injury guideline in the first place was to give you quote, immediate access to up to $3,500 to provide care. Lastly, the cap on funding is outlined by the Ontario provincial government in the minor injury guideline. 
The MIG sets the cap at $3,500, which as viewers can see in this table, is the lowest in the country. In fact, $2,000 lower than Alberta, which is also a private system, as most of the others. Is $3,500 enough coverage, Leslie? In the minor injury guideline, it's all about the dollars and cents. So there's, there's only $3,500 to deal with, right? So you can give as much treatment as you feel you can for that amount of money. You can't say that I think I need to treat them more times, which actually adds up to more money. Most people, we need to access the full 3,500 and many we go, we go requesting beyond that. Um, so probably it's, it's a small number that it does, that they're within the MIG, they're looked after and they're, they're done um, within that, uh, that time frame and um, monetary structure. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is kind of what I've what I've liked to sometimes say that, you know, they they've built this this very specific and structured round hole, as I would say. And then if you get a client who is a round peg fits in very nicely and everything, everything works out, works out great. But most people are not. Many of them are not round pegs. And when you're trying to put a round peg or a not round peg into a round hole, it just doesn't work. And so that's when we end up having to, you know, kind of try and take it further and ask for more money and, um, you know, sort of try to to get support to keep on working with these folks. The square peg and round hole dilemma. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how much of a fight is that then? And who are you fighting with? Are you are you battling against the insurance company? Is that where the fight is? Yeah, I would say usually. If it, if it turns into a fight, I mean, it's certainly where we have to request funding from. So it's form completion. We need to fill in various forms along the way uh, to request further treatment and funding for further treatment. Um, so that's always the first step. And if that gets approved, then everybody's happy and we carry on with another block of uh, money uh, and time. Uh, if it doesn't get approved, then sometimes we're nearly at the end of what we can do We're, you know, if it doesn't get approved, we can call and sometimes try to discuss it further and see if we can get, um, you know, kind of a, a, a change in, in, in ruling on, on the approval. But in many cases that it, it doesn't work, it's just, it is what it is. They're going to say, no, they won't prove that. And then perhaps send them off for further investigation, further assessments to decide, have somebody else decide whether they need more treatment or not. Now that's the uh, insurance medical exam process. That's, yes, yes. Usually that's what that turns into. Yes. Is that a bit pernicious or? Yeah. Well, you know, it's basically the insurer deciding that they either don't think or don't want to approve further funds, or maybe they, for some reason, they are unable to do so unless they have more medical evidence on file that uh, further treatment is required. And so then the client goes through that process of being being referred to an independent evaluation. Um, and then whatever comes from that assessment is usually what's followed through on. We're the ones who need to kind of broker the relationship between the insurer and the client from a healthcare perspective um, from what we're offering and to, you know, facilitate um, the request for funding and, you know, trying to get things approved and, um, you know, kind of help move the whole process along. Um, but then, of course, if 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 we come to a dead end because our requests are being denied, 
then there's not much more we can do past that. It usually ends up going to a lawyer. Um, and lawyer, that's when we get lawyer, lawyers get involved and then they sort of take over the, uh, the you know, dealing with the insurance company and um, sort of managing the case from that perspective. Leslie, please explain the rule regarding priority of payment, meaning that a person's workplace extended health insurance must be billed and exhausted first before the auto insurer is billed. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that is a, an insurer's rule here in Ontario that um, when somebody is, is in an auto accident and they make a claim through their auto insurance, um, that the priority of billing or insurance usage is that they are to uh, submit their, their costs through to their private insurance, extended healthcare benefits first, and then second in line is the auto insurer. So whatever the, uh, the extended healthcare um, insurance plan will not pay for, then can be billed to the auto insurer. And you have to do that until the, their private benefits have been exhausted. And uh, then from there, the auto insurer will pay the remainder. Uh, do patients complain about this? Oh, oh, yeah, sure. We hear about that. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's in, I don't blame them. Like, you know, you've got, you've paid for and you have a benefit plan or a private insurance plan um, and that you're being obligated to use that for an incident, which you have another set of insurance that you're also obligated to pay, pay for and have and carry. Um, and, you know, and then they force you to exhaust the first line of insurance, which you might actually need for something not auto accident related at some other time. Um, so a pre-existing issue or a brand new issue that you have yet to, to, um, you know, kind of come across. Um, so it's, you know, we, yeah, it's pretty frustrating. We feel that it's, you know, you know, it's, it's almost disrespectful actually to the, um, to, to patients and clients that have forcing them to use their insurance. And it's also an administrative um, challenge on our end also. Um, it, it, so it, it, it introduces a whole, another whole layer of administration of an auto insurance claim. So when we, we get these people that have both forms of insurance and we have to administer through the extended healthcare plan first, um, we have to hold on to any billings that might go to the auto industry, which delays billing because the first line has to be built, built through to their um, private insurer. We have to wait for payment to come in or, you know, kind of, and that we have proof of payment because we have to supply that proof of payment to the auto insurer in order for them to release funds. So you have to not only first bill uh, the extended health for an auto accident, you have to then prove to the auto insurer that you've exhausted that billing, which drains the, the patient's account. And then only then are you able to actually get any funds from the auto insurer. That's correct. Now, look, it sounds like this system is stacked in favor of the auto insurance industry. It sure sounds like it, <laughs> you know, and certainly, in, you know, the lived experience is that it, it it's very much like that, uh, that they're very much, uh, you know, kind of in the driver's seat and um, that it is stacked in favor. I mean, you know, kind of notoriously, it, it sure, sure appears that insurance companies in general don't really like to have to uh, pay out. And when you do have to pay out, it affects premiums and there's always a consequence. Um, and of course, auto insurers, insurers in general, you know, are good at making money. So, you know, it's uh, when you're dealing with it, 
uh, you know, on this sort of a scale and, and, you know, kind of falling on providers to kind of administer and deal with these challenges. Um, it sure seems like it's stacked in favor of the auto insurer for sure. So what impact does all this administrative uh, effort that you have to put in, how does that affect accounting costs? Um, well, I mean, administrative costs are included in fees. We don't pay, we aren't, we don't have a billing code or a billable amount for administrative costs. It's all part of the fee that we get. So, you know, the costs from a, from a business perspective of the money that comes in from a auto insurance claim, it's it, that money has to cover everything. Cost of the staff that work on the, with the client, uh, the cost of the administration that, that um, um, is being done on behalf of the case, um, you know, and uh, any of the other costs that comes with, uh, with running business. So uh, my office manager who does, uh, does the, is the person who does our auto insurance billing. Probably that the auto insurance sector of the work that she does is probably at least 50% of what she does. So administration cost of dealing with all that red tape counts against the $3,500 cap? Um, well, yeah, I, exactly. Um, you know, I think um, there, like I said, there is no, we don't bill separately for administrative time. Um, you know, and the cost, so we do, the things we do get paid for from an administrative perspective is filling in forms. So they do pay us. There is a, a billable fee for the filling in a form. Um, so that part does get get paid. Interestingly, though, that is part of the money. So it caught, you know, $70, for example, is is what's paid for filling in an OCF 18. So when you're putting in your, you know, for your on your list of what you're billing for, that goes in there and then that gets, you know, put into the um you know, kind of into the pot. And that's what we, we get that covered with that by that. But it's part of the same money. Leslie, overall, is the red tape involved with providing care to auto accident victims a burden to your business? I would say yes. I mean, that's certainly one of the challenges of providing care in the auto industry sector is the amount of administrative work that comes with it, right? Whether it's filling in forms or it's managing the invoicing process or it's, you know, dealing with the, um, the insurance companies themselves, the insurers. And um, so, yeah, there's, there is a fair amount of it for sure. And it is a bit of a deterrent, um, which I would say why not all healthcare providers like us do auto insurance work uh, because there is costs, costs associated significantly into, into providing that care. What about your compensation under this system? Are health service providers being adequately compensated? Mm -hmm. um, I would say that at this stage of the game, it's starting to fall behind. Um, it has been some long time since there has been any increase in the approved fees. Um, and that is another, uh, another issue within the sector that is uh, difficult at times is that all, all Providers, physios are, are one, but all are kind of pigeonholed into what is an allowable amount of, um, of billings. So we don't we don't have control over that. We're not allowed to bill what we think we should be billing for the service. It's prescribed um, and different services have different sort of approved billing amounts. 
Um, so some providers will not provide service because they don't pay what's you know listed as regular rates, um, and they 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 can be quite um, difficult about it. Um, so you you know you're kind of pigeonholed into what's the approved rate, and that approved rate hasn't changed in a long time, decade maybe. RegWatch has reviewed the regulations and statutes detailing the fees health service providers can bill for under the system, and they haven't been increased since 2014, almost a decade. So that is pigeonholed from like a decade ago. Yes, yeah. And that's obviously taking into no consideration the changes in the costs of uh, delivering the care. And that has definitely gone up in the last 10 years. And so, yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned that um, clients, patients are, um, they do okay if they're a round peg because it's a round hole a la the auto insurance industry. Sounds like to me that in some cases, health service providers are struggling with that same problem, square peg, round hole. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, you know, we're, we have to try to make what we do fit into the structure that's being, that we're being asked to work within. Um, and the, these things are all sort of points of frustration for sure, because it, it's sometimes hard to deliver what you feel is required from a um, from a care perspective um, that if it doesn't fit into, OK, we've only got so many treatments to work with. Right. We have to we have to do a minimum in order to do the billing. But if we do more than that because you need it, then our our our, our cost per, per session goes down. Our, our, our value revenue procession, right? So sometimes you really do get into that, um, especially back to the MIG when we are looking at, it's it's structured in blocks. So there are, there are three blocks you know, within the MIG, four weeks each, and each has got its own kind of value attached. Um, and so you have uh, expect, expected number, minimum number of visits that you're expected to deliver. Um, in that block, but if you deliver more visits than that, the money doesn't change. So the value of each visit is is what changes. So then you're kind of into that. Okay, well, how do we balance, right? If we did, if we deliver a lot more, then then our revenue per visit is significantly taking a hit. If we don't deliver that, then we're probably not giving what they need. So there's definitely a, a kind of a, a walk <laughs> to try and to try to navigate that. Now that must be tough trying to balance uh, treatment and your own compensation because you have a business to run. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it, it is tough for sure. And uh, it's, these are the things that make running healthcare businesses uh, difficult <laughs> uh, this, this time. Yeah. Is there any hope that this fee, your fees, the, the fees you get paid to provide the service, is there any hope that that might get increased? Well, I guess we always hope, but I certainly haven't heard anything about that happening in, in you know currently that there's been any um, any discussions or is there anything going on um, to discuss to see that that's happening. I haven't heard that. So at this point in time, I would say it doesn't doesn't look like it. Isn't there anyone say your associations out there fighting to have changes made? Um, like I say again, um, I'm not I'm not aware of anything like overly active at the moment in the auto insurance sector. It's a little bit different on the WSIB side, um, which I know this is not the, the main focus of our conversation, but that's sort of the, the parallel on the injured worker side. 
Um, and so there's been quite a bit of work on the WSIB sort of um, realm to try and manage um, the problems with fees because they were even worse. Um, and, uh, you know, like the example I can give is, you know, when I first started working um, as, as a physiotherapist here in Ontario 20 something years ago, we were getting paid somewhere in the realm of about $18 and 24 cents or something for a WSIB case per, per session. Um, and now that many years later on a strict, the fee for service rate is only up to about 27 and change. So it's, <laughs> it hasn't moved very much um, in, in that period of time. Now WSIB again has developed different, different things to try to adjust for that. Um, but it's still, it's very similar. They're, they're, they're very parallel to each other, auto insurance and WSIB for the way things are kind of being structured. Um, so there's been a lot more work on that side to try and get something better with respect to compensation um, than there has been in the auto, on the auto sector. There has been very little movement since they brought in the minor injury and the, the whole concept of the OCF 18 form and all those things. There hasn't been much change in um, uh, on the financial side. When you look at everything that's happened, uh, do you think that maybe there's a lack of respect uh, that the auto insurance industry has for health service providers and, and what you do? Well, I mean, if what you get paid is a um, evidence of the amount of respect that's being given to you, then I would say yes. I mean, certainly healthcare providers are on the, the short end of the straw as far as, um, uh, you know, in, in the rehab industry anyways, from a, a healthcare perspective, um, as far as um, compensation is concerned and valuing of service. Um, is we're certainly on on the short end of the stick for sure. Mm -hmm. Have any practitioners decided to throw in the towel and stop providing treatment to patients under the auto insurance system? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I would say um, here in my community, um, I believe there are only two of us that are actively providing auto insurance care. Most are not. Um, because of these reasons, right? It's, it's timely, uh, time consuming. Um, it's costly from an administrative perspective. Um, you know, the revenue, I guess, is, is questionable given all of these things you have to be able to, to act on and deliver um, mm -hmm, for sure. And then, of course, there's costs associated with being regulated provider through um, the, the financial services regulatory. That's fairly, fairly new. Um, you know, and then the whole getting involved with HKI, there's a whole thing with that too. So a lot of, of many uh, providers have just don't do it. So what needs to change in your mind uh, to secure the foundation uh, for providing this service, this critical healthcare service in Ontario for the future? Well, I think the first thing that should happen is that people need to not have to use their all of their other insurance before they can access their auto insurance. I think auto insurance should be a standalone. And if you have a um, legitimate accident, auto accident related uh, claim that you should be able to access that insurance directly and not have it affect anything else. Uh, that's pretty easy to, to do and should not be um, held up from making that, move that forwards. Uh, you know, beyond that, um, you know, I think it, 
decreasing the amount of uh, administrative load um, required, um, giving a little bit more control back to regulated healthcare providers who are, you know, regulated for a reason to be able to provide um, medical opinion in our within our scopes, um, and you know, to provide direct give advice and, and give uh, recommendations around what uh, what somebody you know kind of needs to benefit from. Um, you know, that would certainly be be a helpful thing to have a little bit more autonomy in how we provide uh, the care that we that we see as uh, being necessary. Um, and then, of course, the third thing would be uh, the financial side. Raise your rates. Raise your rates. Exactly. Addressing the value that's tied to the work that we do um, by, uh, you know, by paying, you know, reasonable rates, competitive rates, going rates. Uh, you know, I have a, a, a situation going on right now with, with the client of mine with a different provider and that provider wants to to, to bill regular rates and the, uh, the auto insurer is not approving it because they won't pay higher than a certain amount of money for the service. And so now we're sitting in a situation where the client can't get care. Um, <laughs> and so now we're, we're, we're trying to figure that one out, but all because the insurer will not approve um, the race that the provider is, uh, is requesting.